So we're now going to be uh, heading into our teaching series, The Forgotten Arts, and we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. I'm only actually going to be focusing really in on the last couple of verses of this chapter, but increasingly we need, I think, as a church, wanting to be uh, committing ourselves to reading of the Word of God, which is a good thing. And, uh, you know, surprising that perhaps in the past we haven't done that quite so much. But this is God's Word speaking to us. And I think it was Ads who was preaching a little while back who said that if you hear nothing else, this is the most important part of the talk. And that is true. Everything else that I say after this is just add-on. What is absolutely essential and important is this is the Word of God. And actually the passage I'm going to be reading is taken from a series that we know as, or a sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was directly instructing uh, in other people. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 6 and uh, start from verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. But when you pray, go into the room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that the fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. If if I was to stand before you and to ask you a question, whether you're a Christian or whether you are not a Christian, what are the sort of things that you would think a Christian would do? I'm pretty sure that many answers would include that a Christian, they would pray. I think many would also think, whether expectation willingly or not, that a Christian is generous and would be someone who gives. I'm not sure many would actually answer the question, a Christian is someone who fasts, but here we've got a trilogy. We've got, what, we've got a talk that is kind of works out into a trilogy. So last week, Ollie spoke about 
prayer. And next week, Ash is going to be talking about giving. And this week, part of the trill is slightly wrong order, but we're talking about the importance of fasting. And it's important to see that actually Jesus didn't say, if you pray, and if you give, and if you fast. But the language he uses is, when you give, and when you pray, and when you fast. So the expectation is that it's something that we would be doing normally as a Christian. Now, we call this series The Forgotten Arts. That just reminded me, really, of another trilogy, a trilogy of films set in, actually were filmed in the 1980s, and uh, featured a man called Indiana Jones, and he was there, the, 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 the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and the... Temple of Doom and the Last Crusade. And there he was, this uh, professor, adventurer, who would go around the world finding important, significant artifacts because they had, in effect, been lost and forgotten. There's something important about this series. The importance is this, that there's some things that we have lost the importance of, forgotten the importance of, maybe within our own spiritual life, that we need to be bringing back, bringing to life once again. Now, I know partly the, the danger, and I can look back and very much be a part of the blame to this, is that, you know, you, you go for church and you set up church and we, we dismiss all that stuff which looks religious and we don't like that and let's get rid of that and discard it because, hey, we can be cool and we can train and we can do this and we can go for this and we don't want it. But by doing that, actually what we've ended up doing is perhaps discarding some really important things that our forefathers, that those who have gone before us have said, look, if you want to get right with God, if you want your relationship good with God, if you want to be on fire with God, then actually put some of this fuel into your life. Things like Sabbath and solitude and scripture. Put these things into your life because they're going to act like fuel. Now, we've finally, after many years, we've, we've installed a log burner into our house, and I'm trying to learn the art of lighting a log burner fire. Okay, because on occasions, smoke has billowed out and filled our room, which isn't ideal. Now, it's how I light it, I've been told. It's complicated because we have a big pipe that goes outside and there's cold air and there's hot air and there's some scientific reason why the hot air and the cold air and the clash. And what happens is that we put a load of kindling and fire lighters and it goes off and it looks great. We close the door and, wow, it's really taken and then suddenly it just drops dead. Why? Because there's no oxygen in there keeping the thing alive. And if you can catch it just beforehand, open the door and the smoke doesn't come out, suddenly this what looks dead suddenly whoa, bursts into flame again. I'm learning the art of how to light a fire. It's a forgotten art. Okay? And, and, but the important thing is, look, that fire needs oxygen. Our if I was to ask a question, what's your life, spiritual life like, who's kind of, if you're honest, rhetorically, honest, saying, do you know what, my Christian life is a bit boring, a bit dull, a bit empty. It's not what it was. It's not what I would want it to be. How do we add oxygen? Well, the, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is wanting to help ignite that relationship, okay? But the thing is, onto the fire, kinder will only last so long. It, it, does, it, it burns up quickly. A lot of heat to start with, but then what you need to have, what I understand, you need to have proper fuel on the fire that is going to last. And it's like we're taking this log and we're putting it on and we're taking the log of prayer and we're putting it on and we're taking the log of giving because it benefits us. We're taking the log of solitude and we're taking the log of, of, of scripture and we're taking the log of fasting because these are things that actually if we take them and add them into the fire, guess what? They're going to add fuel to us and that is going to have a major impact upon our spiritual life with God. 
If all we've done is replace our spiritual life with turning up here on a Sunday, then we have missed it. Okay, this isn't it. This is just an outworking of what happens the rest of the week. So as we come and gather and we worship and we celebrate together, it's just an outworking of the joy and the sustenance that we found in God during the week. We need to be fueling that. And if we're not, hey, like, be, walk with me on this, that we need to see how we can fuel our relationship with God. So that's why this series exists. And this week we're looking at the art or the forgotten art of fasting. Why is it forgotten? John Wesley Okay, major figure in the Christian world in the 18th century, founder of the Methodist movement, said this. Okay, Some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scriptures and reason, and others have utterly discarded it. If you were guilty of one or the other, which would it be? Who here would be guilty okay, of exalting religious fasting beyond all scriptures and reason? Not that many. Who here would perhaps have the evidence against you to be found guilty of perhaps utterly discarding the importance of fasting? If I'm being honest, if it's one or the other, it's definitely that one. I don't think there's any evidence for the former, but there certainly is of the latter. And it's out of vogue, but maybe it's making a bit of a comeback. Why is fasting out of vogue? Possibly because of the bad reputation that fasting got in the Middle Ages when, the, uh, when people got so ascetic and severe and very religious about it that they got, no, we've got to do this, and they, and they over, were overzealous and over-religious about it. It got a bad reputation, and sometimes when there's a bad thing that happens over here, the knee-jerk reaction is actually to go the exact opposite. Maybe that explains it. Also, maybe the culture in which we're growing in has convinced us that we all need three meals a day and at least five vegetables, and if we don't, then we're all going to die. Now, the truth is, that might be truth. If we don't have food, then we will die, but not usually within the first day. It is a myth. Well, maybe it's a myth that we've bought. But when we're talking about fasting, and it usually does involve abstaining from food, it's abstaining from food for a certain period of time for a spiritual purpose. Now, there's different types. You'll be aware that, if you're familiar with the Bible, different types of fasting where people have have willingly abstained from food. Now, the most common one, I guess we could refer to it as the normal fast. Can you give me an example? If I was to say in the Bible of someone fasting, you would say Daniel. Great, we're going to come to Daniel in a moment. Who else? Jesus. Okay, where was Jesus when he fasted? Okay, out into the desert, into the wilderness. That, that is... I would say he's considered to be the normal fast. To be fair, it was extended 40 days. Okay, it's a long. But he was still drinking water, didn't liquidate his food. Okay, he was having drinks. Somebody, you know, shouted down and was at Central, can we have soup? No, soup is just a liquidated three-course meal. Okay, that's not really the heart behind fasting. But actually, it's kind of like... <laughs> He said, you know, I'm going without food for an extended period of time, whether that's one day, three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days. I'm going without that. When Jesus, interestingly, I love just kind of the subtlety of this. It says that Jesus went into the wilderness, was led by the Spirit, and came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Just that time that he had with the Father during that prayer and during that fasting, he came out prepared for the ministry that was ahead, filled with the Holy Spirit empowered by him. So there's the normal fast, and there is the absolute fast, 
which would also exclude water. There's biblical examples of this. You've got Paul, when he met Jesus, who was uh, on the road uh, heading off to Damascus in order to persecute Christians. He had this blinding encounter with Jesus and a total conversion, and it says that he went away, and for three days he had a total fast where he didn't have drink or any water. Other examples in the Old Testament, some of you may reference Queen Esther, Everything was going very badly for the Jewish people. And Queen Esther got word to Mordecai saying, you must call the people uh, to a complete fast, neither eat nor drink for three days. Why? Because desperate times means desperate measures. So what the normal fast, the absolute fast, then we've got the partial fast, and someone helpfully mentioned Daniel, where maybe you're in a situation where you are selective in what you cut out. I would like to argue at this point the reason why I have not had Brussels sprouts for the last however many years is for spiritual reasons alone. I have cut them out because I have felt closer to God as a result of not eating those sprouts. Daniel, it says of him, that I ate no delicacies, no, no meat or wine for three weeks. So he kind of, in effect, he did dry January and veganuary all at the same time. So normal, absolute, partial, and then there's a public fast. Some of you will know Jewish history, will know of the Day of Atonement, where people would be coming before God for sorrow and affliction for sins, and they were called to fast. But there's other instances, like in the uh, prophecy or the book of Joel, where it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly to gather all the people. Some of you might know the story of Jonah, who went to Nineveh to call the people to repentance. They heard the message, they repented. And, and as a result of that, there was a corporate fast that all the people and the animals, brackets I'm assuming not by choice, okay, all the people entered into a fast. The story of Jehoshaphat, which has been particularly important for Belinda and myself in recent year, is that we're in this situation where there was Jehoshaphat and the people had the enemy coming against them, they were absolutely, the backs were up against the wall, and it says to them that they called the people together, men, women, and children, to come together to pray and to fast. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. So there's examples in the Bible of fasting before they came before God, for repentance, for grieving over sickness, for mourning over death, for protection and for victory, for showing solidarity with the poor, and for preparation for ministry. Just like Jesus went led by the Spirit and came out in the power of the Spirit. How the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were set apart for the mission work out into, you know, setting off onto their travels. And it says, and they gathered together and the period of prayer and fasting, they laid hands upon them and sent them out and discharged them out into the nations. So it's fair to say that the Bible is pretty clear that fasting is an important deal. But it's not that popular today. But I'll tell you what, it's making a bit of a comeback it's a forgotten art. We need to go out searching. We need to go out and find and to discover. And, and for me to rediscover stuff that maybe we didn't fully appreciate, but now we are beginning to appreciate the value and the importance of it. Now, I started off by reading Jesus' uh, sermon, Sermon on the Mount, his teaching to the people. And so... Even though it's not an obligation or a command, the expectation is that a Christian would be giving and a Christian would be praying and, and the Christian would be fasting. It says, when you fast, assumption is that you will be fasting. What, what I love about the story of the Sermon on the Mount, when you, when you read it, is that Jesus didn't lessen 
He didn't lower the bar. If you read it, he actually raised the bar on many occasions. So Jesus said, do you know how it says don't commit murder? I say, don't even just not commit murder, right? but don't even get angry with your brother. The bar was set here, and Jesus said, no, the bar is higher than that. And they said, do you know how it says don't commit adultery? Guess what? Don't even look lustfully at someone. He raised the bar. So Jesus, in this, he isn't lowering the bar for generosity and giving. He's increasing it. He isn't lowering the bar when it comes to praying. He's increasing it. When it comes to, he's not lowering the bar of fasting. He's actually saying, no, look, I'm increasing. Don't do it to go and show. This isn't about them. This is about you ultimately in your relationship with God. It was Martin Luther who said, in the, he, said uh, he didn't come to despise fasting or reject fasting. He came to restore it. And I guess there's a part of that is a restoration of it that I'm, I'm speaking to myself and, and I'm, hopefully you're listening in on the conversation I'm having with myself. Is a discovery or rediscovery of some arts here, forgotten arts which are actually going to help me. Just like praying helps me, to be honest, giving helps me. Fasting is going to help me. But it's ultimately not about me. It's an act of worship. Number one reason for fasting is that it takes the focus off me and puts it back onto God. So we're not trying to fast in order to get God's attention and get him to do what we want, because that, to be honest, would be much more like a hunger strike. It's part of worship. Focus my mind on him. Fasting is primarily not, is not about getting greater depths of intercessory prayer, although it will help. And it's not primarily about getting ourselves right before God and getting pure before God, although it does. And it's not primarily about receiving power, although we can. The number one purpose for why fasting is ultimately to stand before God in the presence of God. Uh, Spurgeon, we've already quoted Wesley in and Luther, I'll quote Spurgeon, he said some interesting things. One of my favorite things of Spurgeon, who was the preacher, he said, growing a beard is a habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial. So well done. Well done if you have a beard. Okay. More importantly, he said other things. He said this, our seasons of prayer and fasting at the tabernacle, which was the church that he led, have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gates stood wider Never have our hearts been nearer the sensual glory. So the, the primary reason why we are fasting is it gets us more into the presence and the glory of God. So it's not about our success in prayer. It's not about release of power. It's not about getting greater understanding and revelation. It's about putting God first and central. Wesley, again, said this. First, let it be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone to glorify our Father in heaven. It's John Wesley. See, fasting is an intentional decision on my part to say, do you know what? I am putting something, a non-essential, that currently takes precedent in my life to one side, and I'm putting God front and center. I'm putting God ahead of food. I'm putting God ahead of other things that distract. Now, I think at this point, it's, it's, it's really worth just taking a side, sideways step. Because some people say, is it only about food? In the Bible, often, mainly, it is in connection with food. But I think it's absolutely legitimate to say, do you know what, there's other things into our life that we can stop and and fast from in order to give our attention wholly unto God. Things like social media. 
Intentional periods where we switch off from all those social media sites and see, you know, give that time over to being with God. Or what about messaging and WhatsApp and discovering and rediscovering the forgotten art of turning off your iPhone? Do you know where the button is? Do you know how to do it? Do you remember? Because it's like, oh, how, because our life, it can be so easily consumed by, you know, you, you've been praying, you've been praying, and then suddenly you go, you get a message, you go, oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, Lord, I'm, you've got my heart, I'm fully devoted, bing, bing, oh, someone's having toast, lovely. And Lord, I'm totally uninterrupted, bing, bing, and you're reading this, and suddenly, it's like, no, 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 I'm switching off from that, why? Because I'm intentionally moving away from something that is non-essential, that takes precedence in my life, and letting it go in order to focus in on what is more important. Social media, messaging, WhatsApp, how do we step out of our consumer society? Uh, Richard Foster in his Celebration of Discipline. He suggests that we need to do this how by spending time with some of Christ's favorites, the broken, the bruised, the dispossessed, not to preach but to learn. Gandhi said this, we need times when we're amongst those who live an eternal compulsory fast. We're going to learn. How do you step out of the culture in which we're living in, this consumer-driven society? We need to purposefully, deliberately, intentionally step out of that and place ourselves into another context. I love this story, and I, I will mention it, although I don't think she quite realized what, the importance of what she'd done. Just before Christmas, we had uh, some relatives who were having a meal with us, and we ended up having one of those kind of like round-the-table discussions, and it, it got in, you know, into a discussion about their frustration with Tesco's supermarket and how Tesco's kept changing the prices of what's it crisps. And you can see the depth of conversation that was taking place, but actually there was a deeper thing that was taken. Because they liked Aldi's, because you knew with Aldi's, the fixed price with Aldi's, that was going to be, you go in there, it was going to change. It's only ever changed by 1p, where you go into Tesco, sometimes they're on offer, sometimes they're not on offer. And we just had this long conversation about the price of Watsits at the supermarket. And we have Natalie, who's living with us at the moment. Natalie from Zimbabwe, just very gently, very humbly said, oh yeah, when I go shopping in, in Zimbabwe, Sometimes I will pick up bread from the shelf and I'll join the queue and by the time I get to the front of the queue we can no longer afford that bread because of inflation. So I have to put the bread back on the shelf and I have to go and find more money in order to come back. And it just stopped the conversation. Sometimes we need to step out of our culture and step into another culture. We need to fast from this. Why? Because it benefits us. But primarily it's about God. It's about us and our relationship with God. But secondly, it does lead on to, it benefits us. The second reason, it focuses on ourselves. I think it was Spurgeon. It may not have been, but I'm going to credit Spurgeon with this. A stomach is like a spoiled child. A spoiled child doesn't need indulgence, but discipline. If anyone is trying to raise a child, discipline or putting good boundaries and structure is that you want structure and boundaries in a child's life because you want them to make good and wise decisions. Just giving in to the whims and the demands of a child, you know that that isn't going to benefit them. And he says this, look, your stomach can demand. It can keep coming back and demand and demand. He says, no, no, don't give in to the demands. Discipline yourself. Don't give in to the indulgence, but give in to a discipline, which helpfully leads to thinking that the second benefit of fasting is it brings a focus upon our vulnerability. 
More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control me. Because why? Because they tend to surface when we're at our hungriest. Look at this quote by Foster. He said, fasting reveals the things that control us. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. David, when he was writing his Psalm 69, he said, I humbled my soul with fasting. I know I'm at my most vulnerable when I haven't eaten. Okay? I get impatient when I'm hungry. No, that's not true. My hunger reveals my impatience. Okay? I get moody when I don't eat. Well, that's not true. The lack of food reveals something that is already within me. Food sustains me, keeps me going. What happens when that food is no longer there? I need to find a substitute that is going to sustain me. Guess what? Who that is, is God. So it's not so much fasting from food, but feasting on the word of God. We're moving away from I'm giving up something to taking on something. Here's an opportunity to be going, you know what, I'm turning my back on this in order to now feast on my sustenance and my way forward and, and, and anything that's going to sustain me now, I'm going to have to lean into God. I can't lean into food for that sustenance and now need to lean into God to sustain me. That's why I need to wash my hair and clean my teeth and everything else that Jesus kind of hinted at. We, we need to do that. Why? Because we're leaning into God to be the one who is sustaining us during this period of time. So the focus shifts onto us. Fasting is firstly about God, yeah, and the, and the focus shifts onto us because being in his presence always changes us. Our Father in heaven, it's incredible. Our Father in heaven wants to be with us the greatest thing. And then that really challenging verse, it was verse 14, but I'm going to read it out in the message translation. It says, in prayer there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. That's a really tough verse. And yet we don't often focus in on that. Jesus' words, like, if you don't forgive, then how can my Father in heaven forgive? And the thing is that when we're with the Father in heaven, we forgive. Because being with the Father changes us. So fasting firstly focuses on God, it then focuses on us, and thirdly, it focuses in on, kind of like, it brings attention to what really matters. And it helps to deal with the issues. So there are areas, undoubtedly, in your life that you need to see breakthrough in. Healing, relational recovery, threats, spiritual warfare. So good the other night as there was uh, a few gathered here on Wednesday evening to be praying. And we started to pray that, you know, uh, Steve, who wasn't able to uh, be here on Wednesday night, he was, works with the Beachy Head Chaplaincy, was up on, the, up on the downs, up on the Beachy Head, and he spent all of his day trying to talk a 19-year-old lad down from the cliff's edge. What is going to change it? And we spent a long time on Wednesday night praying, praying, Praying for breakthrough. Praying for a breakthrough. God, we cannot do this. I don't want people to come to Eastbourne just because they want to end life. I want them to come to Eastbourne in order to discover life. But what is going to change that? Jesus, he'd gone up to a mountain. And uh, he had quite an impactful time, trans Mount of Transfiguration, where he met some of our you know, amazing people. Moses and Elijah. And anyway, he came down from this mountain, and as he came down, his disciples, who had been practicing some stuff, came down on the mountain, and there had been someone whose child had been oppressed by an evil spirit. 
And the disciples had gone in to say, I can do this, and I can do this, and they all stepped in, and no one could release this uh, evil spirit from this child until Jesus came along, and Jesus did, and dealt with it. And then the disciples afterwards said, Jesus, what, what was the difference between you doing it and us doing it? Now, there's a major difference, being the Son of God, but the other difference was this, that he said all this thing, and it's actually not in the ESV translation that we would usually use here on the Sunday. In many other translations, it says, this can only be removed by prayer and fasting. So how are we going to see breakthrough? How are we going to see a change in Beach Ahead? How are we going to see some of those destructive habits and patterns in our life? It's not just prayer alone. It's prayer and fasting. John Tyson, in his commentary, said this, the power is not in the practice. The practice is a portal to the person. I love that. The practice is a portal to the person. The person has the power, and that person is Jesus. Fasting is one of those doors that if you don't go through it, you don't get the power. And that's where we've gone full circle. If it gets us back to Jesus, only Jesus can deliver us from evil. Only Jesus can break the darkness over the downs. Only Jesus can break destructive patterns in our life. One of the portals of getting closer to Jesus is through fasting. And why wouldn't we want to do that? It's not an obligation thing. It's a, we get to do this thing. It's not an if we fast, but it's a when we fast. Because we know the people who are going to benefit is going to be us. Now, that's going to be a commitment. That's going to be an intentional thing. And maybe me just by opening this up now is shifting some of our thinking from an if to a when. Not an if, but to a when. And if it's shifted to a when, is, is how are you practically going to go about doing that? It's, it, because he needs to set that up. You, if you think it's a prolonged, extended period of fasting, then you need to be practical about that. Helpfully, Richard Fo- Foster. He said this. Some practical advice. He gives practical advice on how to do 24-hour fast, how to do 36 hours, how to go from three to seven days. Just for your encouragement, he says the sweet spot for fasting is usually between days seven and 21. Okay? So if you're on day six right now, keep going. You're about to hit the sweet spot. Beautiful. Very practical. I love this. Okay. He says, before commencing on an extended fast, sure doesn't talk like that, some are tempted to eat a good deal to stock up. I would be that person. Okay? I would be preloading. Okay? I ate on the way here back from Central just in case the Lord called me to an extended fast. Okay? <laughs> he says, this is most unwise, which is probably true. Okay? Then he goes on to say, if the last meal is fresh fruit and vegetable, you shall have no difficulty with constipation. I think it's that sort of helpful advice that we need to be reading and listening to. Seriously. Because it's not practical. Because if we're going to shift from an if to a when, we need to have an understanding of how do we move into doing that. And this is going to be for us, and it's going to benefit us, and it's going to benefit this area, but it's not primarily about that. Ultimately, it's about going through a portal into the presence of Jesus. And that's what we need. The point is this, see, we don't do it to try and impress God or others. We don't fast in order to try and persuade God or to twist his arm. That's a hunger strike. We don't do it in, out of vanity or some new extreme fad diet. We do it because we want to be with Jesus, and that's the purpose. Yes, the power may come, and the prophecy may come, and his purposes may be revealed. And the primary reason we fast is that we get to be in his presence. 
And fasting is just one of the portals in order to help us get there. There's no command. There's no obligation. But it is a privilege. And who wouldn't want to be with Jesus? So just as the band kind of come up, I'm going to leave the final words to St. Basil of Caesarea, which I know that many of you follow. He said this. He was an early church father in the 4th century. He actually stood up against uh, the Arian heresy. And he said this. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawmakers wise. She is a safeguard to the soul, a stabilizing companion to the body, a weapon for the brave, a discipline for champions. Fasting knocks over temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility. I reckon that our forefathers throughout the ages probably knew a thing or two. And it's good for us today, in the 21st century, to be rediscovering the forgotten arts and to be igniting once again our relationship with God. If you're able, why don't you stand and we're going to pray. In fact, I'm going to let you pray. Because some of you have moved from an if to a when. And the easiest thing would be to walk out of here, go and have a biscuit and move on and carry on life. But for some, you need to oxygenate your Christian faith once again. You need to come and refuel. And one of the means by which we do that might be for the portal of fasting. So when you fast. So Father, we come before you now. Lord, if you're dealing with stuff in our heart, I pray that you will. I pray that many of us will shift from a, an if to a when and you will put a desire within us to say, do you know what? We're going to do this. And we're going to celebrate this discipline in our life because we want to get to be with Jesus more. So why don't you just spend a moment before Rich and Ellie lead us into our final song, just for you personally, just to be responding before God right now.